to Learning Now Radio, bringing you the best news, views, and interviews from the team that brings you Learning Now TV. This is Learning Now Radio. I have the absolute pleasure today of introducing, or perhaps reintroducing, if you caught him on the fantastic interview for Learning Now TV, Dr. Andre Vermeulen. He's CEO of Neurolink and possibly one of the most passionate people I've ever spoken to on the subject of neuroscience. So, Andre, thank you for joining us again, um, and I'm really looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely, Lisa. Thank you. I believe in spreading the good news and. Uh, to me, it's always a pleasure if we get the opportunity to talk about something I'm very passionate about. Well, I was a little bit cheeky, I'll be honest, Andre, when we were speaking for Learning Now TV, asking you the question of learning and development professionals saying, well, we've got on fine without all of this neuroscience stuff. But I have experienced that myself at conferences. The minute that the word neuroscience comes up, I think... Um, it's often banded about as if we use the word neuroscience, we'll all sound terribly clever and it will give some research basis to what we're doing. So I'm really keen from your perspective to get under the skin of the research and the work that you've done to get to where you are today, to really ground this in something solid. Yeah, yeah uh, you know what, Lisa, the, the thing is, yes, it has, uh, unfortunately, neuroscience have... Uh, a little bit become almost like uh, uh, the flavor of the month. But what it should be is it's going to be just a continuous theme that is going to be here for decades and decades to come. Because um, everything we do eventually uh, has got to do something with how your brain naturally prefers to function. So the, the problem with society, I think, in general, is that one, the word neuroscience sounds a little bit, uh, you know, very academic, as if that does not have practical results for the world of business, which, of course, is not um, the truth whatsoever. Uh, I mean, we send people uh, to universities to become engineers and chartered accountants, so why not use neuroscience for talent and people development? So... Talent and people development should absolutely be grounded into all these behavioral sciences should be grounded into science to make sure we separate fact from fiction, because unfortunately, there are a lot of narrow myths out there at the moment. And, um, and, and a part of these narrow myths often are because we only have a half a truth and not the full truth. So neuroscience helps us to separate facts from fiction and to be more effective and to be more exact and accurate. And that's why we have to do it. But it, the, the one problem that I do experience, that I do have often is many people just do what they've been doing for the past 20 or 30 years. But now they just add a little bit of neuroscience flavor. They have one module where they talk a little bit about the brain. And then apparently this is a neuroscience um, uh, approach that they have. Um, what I'm talking about is that talent management and learning and uh, performance optimization should be grounded in neuroscience first and that the products the, and the tools, the assessments that we develop must be grounded 
into neuroscience. So we shouldn't just throw over a neuroscience uh, uh, juice, if so to speak, give it a neuroscience flavor, but it should actually be grounded in neuroscience first. Because if what we do is grounded and anchored in neuroscience, it validates the work that we do. And that's very important. So obviously, I've, I am a firm believer and promoter of the word uh, neuroscience, but not because it's a flavor of the month, because it actually assimilates all this uh, information and research from all the different sciences of education and psychology and physiology and psychoneuroimmunology and genetics. And eventually, it becomes this interdisciplinary science that really opens up new possibilities for us in the world and gives us new perspectives. And that's why it's such a beautiful science. But it has to stay true to fact and science because it's going to help us to cut some of the junk that has been existed in people development uh, approaches out and make sure we are accurate. Well, You've led me to have to ask you the question, Andre. What are your top neuromyths? Because you mentioned neuromyths. I want to hear from you. What's the top junk that you think is put out there um, that is fiction and not fact? Well, you know, there are many neuromyths. For instance, one of them are, you know, we only use, um, I think uh, people say, (laughs) always differ, but we only use 5% of our brain or 10% of our brain. And then you often hear that Einstein said, so that's not true whatsoever. You know, um, uh, you know, people use their whole brain. But yes, we can optimize that more and more. But you know, to, uh, we often demotivate people when we tell them you have a lot of potential, you don't use much, but we can't really you solutions and opportunities to optimize that really that much and 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 you know if if we then had the solutions why don't we give people the tools then to optimize the other 95 percent that 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 we're still not using so it's things like that then for instance there's a whole debate going on about learning styles and specifically referring to visual, auditory, and kinesthetic learning styles, and uh, the idea that people previously in olden days had was, uh, you know, that learning should be adjusted, you know, that we offer um, uh, learning to a visual learner in a different way than to an auditory le- uh, learner. So we can have different classes, and the different classes catered for different types of learners. The reality is our world does not adapt to us. We gotta be, we have to adapt to the world. So there's no doubt about it that people have different learning preferences. And it is very important that learning preferences, all learning preferences have to be accommodated in every learning offering that we show to people. But you can't just have a visual, auditory, or kinesthetic perspective on things because the world doesn't work like that. Also, when we have this holistic approach of having a visual, auditory, and kinesthetic approach on every uh, uh, piece of um, information that we transfer to people, we stimulate the different areas of the brain. So uh, it is important that we look Sometimes it's just looking at something off-center, and we just got to place that 
back into perspective again. So I think there's so much to take in there that if I am responsible for learning or performance in my organisation, I may say, right, so what you're asking me to do is look at my people, look at their preferences, looking at look at their strengths, think about how we can optimise the environment in which they work, the way in which we convey information, ask them to complete tasks, ask them to learn new skills. This all sounds very exciting, but you're telling me this at a time when my budget is probably under more scrutiny than it's ever been. Where on earth do I start with this? It sounds so huge. How do I get the ear of those stakeholders that are going to invest in um, work that is grounded in this type of research? I suppose, Andre, in the shortest sense, Andre, where on earth do I start and where should I focus in a really pragmatic sense? Because in the end, I can't change the entire setup of this organization. I've got to focus my attention somewhere. Yeah, of course, of course. But I think one of the important things that, that has to happen more and more and more is for CEOs and uh, executive decision makers to have accurate understanding about the value of how learning can drive results and help them uh, achieve their business results. Many times we look at interventions like learning and well-being in organizations and we see it as a benefit. But it is never supposed to be a benefit because really your people are the most important asset you're going to ever have. The problem is most people, most companies say it, it looks very nice and impressive on their walls uh, in those portraits, but they do not live that, they do not believe that and they do not put their money where their mouth is. But the problem is also because in the past, many times like many of our learning interventions and projects and HR interventions and OD interventions has not really given business a proper return on investment. So we've not really convinced CEOs of the value of people. And what we have to understand, and it may sound a little bit controversial, but it's not necessarily that your people is your greatest uh, asset. I want to qualify that a little bit and say the right people are your greatest asset. Who are the right people? When you have people where there's one alignment between the person and what they do, in other words, there's alignment between my design and the role I play in the organization. There's alignment for me between who I am and my contribution, but also alignment between the values of the organization and me. I can work for a place where what the organization values is what I value as, as such also. And then obviously there are the important skills, but often we just looked at skills, but not at aligning design and potential and let that dictate the, 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 um, the role that we should be taking. What is very important here, Lisa, is we need to prove to CEOs and businesses the value of learning. And what I'm saying is the more and more that we anchor it in exact sciences, the more it will validate. And in our own personal experience, we have experienced that um, we have three, four different examples 
of uh, in difficult times where the economy was bad, where if you could prove that the intervention you have is giving your client a return on their investment in the training and development, and that improves productivity and the impact, it makes good business sense. So we need to learn to present good business cases to our decision makers of the value of this. Obviously, there's a lot of awareness that has to be done in the world uh, about the value of neuroscience to business and why that matters. And if we can do that, then we will convince people really of it. Uh, business leaders are looking for results that can help them uh, or are looking for opportunities to help them achieve their results. And that's what we need to do is to just prove to them the value of this with proper business cases and also put a solid case down for why something that sounds uh, academic, actually the outcome of neuroscience is all about practicalities that can help optimize performance and change behavior that will be of benefit to the company. So, Andre, if people want to find out more about the type of work that you get involved in, the types of interventions that you develop and the way in which you engage um, with companies, where can they find you? Well, um, they will always find us in the cyberspace. Uh, our company's name is Neuralink, N-E-U-R-O uh, hyphen L-I-N-K, Neuralink. Uh, but our website is neurolink.company. They can find us there. And um, if they Google our name, Neurolink, they will also find it on the first page. And that will give them a good perspective of what they, uh, of who we are and what we do. And um, from there, should people have specific needs? Um, uh, the neuroscience of learning is our specialist field. But it's not as if we are actually just selling one or two products. We are rather looking at the science of learning and then trying to develop the, uh, uh, learning solutions that helps our customers address certain outcomes which can help them improve business, change behavior, and so forth. So um, it's not as if it's just uh, you know two or three products. It's more about a specialist field, and from that we consult into the world of of business, of sales, of leadership, of uh, reducing the risk of human error, optimizing productivity, changing the physical environment, making it more brain friendly, and so forth. That's wonderful. Well, Andre, thank you so much again for joining us today. You've given us huge amounts of food for thought, and I am sure we'll be coming back to this subject in the near future. So, Andre, thank you for joining us on Learning Now Radio. Wow, Lisa, thank you for having me here because it's um, organizations like yourself and people like you who help spread the good news and who help bringing the awareness to the world. So for me, it's always a privilege uh, having been on your platform. Thank you for that. Learning Now Radio. All the best news, reviews and interviews. Well, that's all we have for this episode. I hope you found some useful takeaways to jot down and use back at work. And please remember to share Learning Now Radio with your work colleagues, your Twitter followers, and of course your Facebook friends. 
So once again, thank you so much for listening to Learning Now Radio. Please help us to spread the word by subscribing and rating us on iTunes. And Lisa and I look forward to you joining us in two weeks' time.